Amen. That was, uh, that was wonderful. Uh, as we get going, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 5 this morning. Does anyone not have a Bible and need one? We can open up God's Word together. Okay, I think everyone is good there. So if you want to turn to 1 Timothy, we're going to be in chapter 5. This morning we're looking at the second part of verses we looked at last week, talking about caring for widows in the church. And friends, I want us to see a number of things as we look at this passage here this morning. I want us to learn how the early church cared for the widows. I want us to learn from the example of good works of the widows and, and also the bad examples. I want us to see how God's word is so different than our world and culture. Of course, we want to do that every week. I think some of the instructions here just stand up so clearly. And I want us to know how caring for others actually flows out of our faith in Jesus Christ. And, uh, and really, only God can impress these things upon our hearts. So before even reading the scripture, I'm just going to go to the Lord again in prayer. You're going to bow with me. Oh God, even as we just uh, sung, Lord, I need you. I need you as I open your word. I, I pray you take all that I prepared this week, but by your spirit that you would speak through me, that you would give uh, clarity in speech and thought. I pray you give us all open ears and open hearts to what you would have to teach us uh, from your word here this morning. And I pray that Jesus Christ would continue to be glorified and honored. And you would do your work in us this morning, God, from your word preached. Use your servant now uh, to give you more glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, if you want to stand with me, I'm going to read 1 Timothy 5. We'll be looking at verses 9 to 16, but for the context, we'll be starting at verses 3. 3 to 16. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead, even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, and they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house. Not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should know. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. Have a seat. 
I'm wondering just as we get going, if you guys could just close the doors uh, in the back there as well. Thank you. So here this morning, I want us to continue to learn from the ministry to the widows. If you were here with us last week, or if you weren't, I want to remind you of God's heart for the widows. All throughout the Old Testament, God has this calling to Israel, to the people of God, to care for the widows, care for the orphans, care for those who are, who are distressed and hurting. But over and over again in the Old Testament, if they're walking with God, if the people of God are walking with God, they're caring for widows. And when they're not walking with God, part of the rebukes of the prophets are you're not caring for widows. We see this language in the New Testament. We see in many places, I highlighted for you, James 127, James writes this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So last week's message, we kind of looked at more broadly relationships, relationships in the church, and then this ministry to widows. And Paul painted this picture of kind of like, what's a godly widow, what does she look like, what's an ungodly widow? This week, we're looking more at the specifics of this ministry and kind of seeing like, hey, who should be ministered to in the church as widows and who should not? I want us to learn from the good examples we see there and, and learn from the bad examples we see there as well. So if you look at me with verses 9 to 10, I want us to see, of course, support the God-focused widows. These are examples to follow. Support the God-focused widows. In verse 9, Paul says this, let a widow be enrolled. Let a widow be enrolled. And again, who's the widow? Let's kind of continue on from verse 3. Honor widows who are truly widows. We looked at last week that word honor kind of means provide for, care for. Talking about like financial care. Honor those widows. And who are they supposed to do that? Well, the widows who are enrolled. That term enrolled is like the widows who are put on a list. I don't know if you can see it. There, there was a, a program in the early church. For everyone, I'm like not for programs for a lot of different reasons, but there was a program in the early church. It seems they had a list in which they, they talked about who, which widows should be cared for. There needed to be a way to, be, to keep track of who the church was caring for, who wasn't to be cared for. Programs are good when organization and leadership are needed on an ongoing basis. It's just good stewardship, right? They're like, okay, we're not caring for everyone in the church, we're not caring for all widows. But the widows who are enrolled on this list, that is who we are caring for. And, and so Paul gives clarity here. What are the parameters of the widows that they're going to be caring for? Let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age. And 60 seems to be the, the age associated with becoming old. <laughs> Especially in those, in those time periods, life expectancy was actually like, age 35 to 40. And so even if you actually lived past there, like that was an amazing thing. But if you made it to 60, you're, you're definitely kind of in the older camp. That's how it was looked at. And it's not disrespectful at all. It's actually honoring. They're like, hey, if someone made it to 60, we actually want to start caring for them. Maybe they're getting to a place where physically they're not able to care for themselves. So it's actually a place of respect marking that age. One commentator, Robert Yarbrough, says... If they are younger than that, then likely they have the vitality to fend for themselves or they can find a spouse and avoid becoming cared for by the church. 
And so there's this list given. The first one starts with uh, not less than 60 years of age. And we're going cons- to see kind of the list go on, like what were the qualifications of those to be enrolled. But every kind of list you look at in Scripture, you need biblical wisdom. It's not that it was like, hey, we give every single point, and if someone doesn't meet it exactly, they're not to be cared for. You think if there was a widow who was 58 and had no one to care for, they're not like, you're not yet 60. Right? So there's, there's biblical wisdom that must be applied, but we're going to look at specifically what Paul says on this list. Must be not less than 60 years of age. The next one, having been the wife of one husband. Having been the wife of one husband is called of the, the widow previously with her husband to have been faithful, to have been pure in her relationship before he passed or maybe even before he left her. But we see this throughout this letter in 1 Timothy, this call to purity in all types of relationships. That's God's call for the church, God's call for Christians. And so, of course, it's, that's the call for these widows, if they're going to be looked after in their previous relationship with their husband, were they pure? It continues on in verse 10, expanding this list. <laughs> That's a precious sound, though. <laughs> in verse 10, uh, I want us to see, it talks about having a reputation of good works. There's a list of good works given here. And before going on further, I just want to give clarity to talking about good works. I think we can get tripped up over that within the church. When I'm talking about good works, I'm talking about the overflow of a life committed to Jesus Christ. Not earning salvation, but an expression of the salvation one has already obtained. And so what am I talking about in salvation? Just like how is one saved or made right with God? Well, it's through the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. Right? Hanging on the cross, taking our sins, taking our shame. The punishment we deserve was buried in the grave, rose again. And anyone who would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the work that he did, could be forgiven, to be made right with God, and be saved. And, and, and so that's what we're talking about. Someone surrendering their lives to follow Christ, accepting his rule and reign. That's when we're talking about salvation. John 3 and other places talking about we have the Holy Spirit in us. If you know Jesus Christ, if you have his, his work in, in, at work in you, then you have His Holy Spirit. And you've been given a new heart, one that wants to please God, has new desires shaped by God. And the overflow of this new heart, this spiritual life, is lived out in day-to-day life. And you will produce good works. Clear scripture for that. I just want to bring your attention. is Ephesians 2, uh, 8 to 10. And the reason I want to nail this down hard is if you can, I could speak about this and someone could walk away and be like, oh yeah, I looked at the list. I need to do these things to be made right with God. No. <laughs> Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. I just want to bring this before you. Again, just make it very clear. Paul writes here, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so no one may boast. Grace is a gift of God. It means undeserved favor. And actually, there in the Greek, the the faith is actually a gift of God. God gives us faith. He gives us grace to believe in Him and trust in Him. It's not that anyone has done anything deserving, but it's God's mercy and His kindness. 
But as he's at work in someone, if you just look at Ephesians 2 verse 10 there, it says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so someone who has been saved, someone who has been changed by the Spirit of God, then will show that, will show proof of that by the works displayed in their life. Right? Like if you planted an apple tree, like the seeds for an apple tree in time, it's going to grow apples. Like period. Right? No one's, like, no one's expecting any other fruit. So someone who's like, yes, I've been changed by Jesus Christ. He's at work in my life. You will see fruit in your life flowing from that. We would call that good works. And so in looking at the, in looking at the widows, it says of those who are supposed to be enrolled on the list, going back to 1 Timothy 5 verse 10, they were to have a, they had a reputation for good works. Their works were known. Just think about that for a moment. What are you known for? What are you known for? If, if people who knew you or someone who knew you was in a group of people talking about you, what would they say about you? The widows were known for good works. And what are these good works? I just want to go over them kind of briefly. Again, these are like good examples to follow. Talks about the good works. If she has brought up children. She has brought up children. This was obviously in the past. And she, she was with her husband, or maybe her husband passed, maybe she brought the children alone. But friends, especially women, especially mothers, I want you to hear this. Raising children is, is seen as a good work in the Bible. Can I get an amen? Amen to that? Like mothers, what other, what other ever responsibilities or things you have on your plate, raising children is not something that takes away from a life pleasing to God. It's actually a vital part of it. It's a good work. And I, think we, I don't think we have great clarity in that. The world says we should be doing so many other things, but mothers, like raising children, it's a good work and it's pleasing to God. We should take that to heart. So the widow must have brought up children, has shown hospitality, has, has welcomed people into their homes and met their needs. And often this would be strangers who needed help, but their home was open to others. Interesting, William Mounts points this out. It's interesting that several of the character requirements of widows overlap with those of elders and deacons. All Christians should be godly people. Right? There's this, this like call of elders and deacons, but like we should all be aiming to grow in godliness. So think about showing hospitality. I just, every time I read that, I'm like, can we, can I grow in this area? I'd just like to make a challenge to everyone here. We, as we come together for church potlucks, like it's wonderful sharing food with other people, getting to know them. If, if, if you can, especially for those who live in Red Deer, those outside, it's a little harder. I would challenge you, can you like make a pot of soup and just have some buns that are ready and next Sunday just invite someone over for lunch. Just open up your home and I just like a simple meal and just invite someone over. Can we not grow in our area of hospitality like these widows? They also were known for washing the feet of the saints. Washing the feet of the saints. I think this is like literal and figurative. Because you think in the time of, of uh, first century AD, they're walking around in sandals, getting to be a bit of a mess on their feet. And even uh, Jesus, in Luke chapter 7, he even rebukes his hosts 
And he, and he says to the guy, he's like, actually, since I've come in here, like, no one offered to wash my feet. And then he, of course, turns and talks about this woman who is weeping and washing his feet with her hair. What an example. But it was kind of like a normal thing. You went to someone's home and somehow, like a servant or someone, would wash your dusty feet. And so uh, William Mount says this, she must have been the type of person who willingly washed the feet of the saints. This is a mark of servanthood and humility, a custom necessary in a dry and dusty land. But I think not only the actual literal uh, washing of feet, but Jesus, remember when he's with his disciples in John chapter 13, Jesus got down and washed his disciples' feet. And he said, I give you an example how you should serve one another. It's not that everywhere they went, they needed to wash other people's feet, though they could do that. But it was like having a heart of humility, a heart of service. These widows displayed that. Having a heart to serve other people. So I think in that, it's just like seeing a need, meeting it in the church, having a heart of service. What an example to follow. In all this, like, Lord, allow me to see these people. Lord, allow me to help these people. What's another good work? Has cared for the afflicted. Assisted those in distress. Other translations are helped those in trouble. Simply, I think, see people who are hurting or going through a trial and coming alongside them. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens. Right? So the widow there saw people in affliction. They, they helped them however they could. Whatever that looked like. Friends, I just also want to highlight this for us. We can only care for the afflicted if we know someone's going through a trial. We can only help those in distress or in trouble if it's made known. So like if you're going through something even right now or in the future, you have to let other people know in the church. So other people can care for you. So other people can kind of like help carry your burden. Often I think pride stands in the way. They're like, I'm, we're going through something, but I don't want anyone to know. And they were like, why isn't anyone helping me? It's like, no one knows. And so there's something we need to let people know if we are in a trial or are being afflicted. And so other people like those widows can come in and help care for us. So these widows, they were devoted. They had devoted themselves to every good work. Someone could look at their lives and know they had hoped in God. They were, they were Christ followers. They could see it by their good works. I, I heard a quote once. It's something to the effect of, if I was arrested for being a Christian, I hope there would be enough evidence to convict me. <laughs> right? For the widows, like, oh yeah, we know about those widows. We know the good works that they've done. I just, I mean, not that we earn our salvation, but that an actual outflow of our faith in Christ will be evident to other people. If you're arrested, will they have enough evidence? God, do that work in us. That there would be no trial. They're like, yeah, for sure, this person's guilty. They are a Christian. Maybe guilty and Christian. You don't want to put those two things together. But, but for these widows, for sure, they're like, hey, going through this list, yeah, we're going to enroll these widows. They're on the list. We're going to help these widows. But who else is... Not everyone's on the list, so who doesn't make the list to enroll? Well, verses 11 to 13, we see, don't support the self-focused widows. These are examples not to follow. Paul writes this to Timothy, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. So, like, what is going on here? I don't know if you read this. He's, like, saying, like, hey, getting married is sinful. 
You're like, there's got to be more going on than, than meets the eye. And I think what it is, is actually so verse 12, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. That word faith could actually be translated pledge. Or their former pledge. Or their, their former um, guarantee. Like they had made some sort of promise, these widows, at some point in losing their husband, like, hey, we're going to set ourselves apart and just worship the Lord. We're only going to follow Christ. And so they had made a pledge, they had made a promise, and then in, in, in marrying, they would actually be breaking that promise. So, it, of course, we're going to see, like, marriage is a good thing, so why was it bad for these widows to get married? It seemed like they had said something. They had, hey, no, we're only going to serve Christ in our singleness now. And of course, in Proverbs 20, 25, it says it's a snare to say rashly it is holy and to reflect only after making vows. In Ecclesiastes 5, 4 to 5, just thinking about making rash vows, it says this, When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It's better for you that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. And it seems like these widows had made a rash vow to the Lord that they would remain single. Paul says this, refuse to enroll them for when their passions draw them away from Christ. That term, word passions is to be governed by like a strong physical desire. So they begin controlled by their desires even though they had made promises previous to following the Lord. It seems their desires were forcing them to do away with their commitments to Christ. Some commentators also wonder, maybe the marriages themselves were to non-Christians. Someone who could easily provide for them. I think these widows that we find there in 12 to 13, or 11 to 12, same ones we talk about in verse 6. She who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Just going after what the desires of the flesh want. So not an example to follow after. Paul's saying, hey, do not enroll these widows. He continues to give more reasons to in verse 13. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. Further description of what was happening in their lives. It seems that some of these young widows were being looked after by the church, and they were using their, their free time to just hang out, just chat it up, and work hard at doing nothing. I don't know if any of you have ever worked hard at doing nothing, I know my, myself when I was when I was younger, like just a new Christian, learning learning a few things and, and trying to find a job and wasn't able to find a job, hanging out lots of time to hang out with friends, doing nothing, <laughs> being idle. We're gonna learn from this negative list. Of course, it's things we don't want to do, but what's the first thing said about them? They learn to be idlers. Like they actually had to work hard at doing nothing. Being idle, like not accomplishing anything. Being without anything to do. Friends, there are so many places in the Bible where it warns against being idle. Proverbs has a number of places, but in the New Testament, uh, Paul talks about it in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. I'm just going to turn there. Because it seems like those in Thessalonica, there's a group of people who are being idle. Paul says this, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. I love it, like admonish them, hey, you're doing nothing, you need to be doing something, but still be patient with them, don't be harsh with them. 
Actually, at the end of 2 Thessalonians, there's further instruction. So it seems like maybe some of these people weren't getting the note. They're still sitting around doing nothing. I know it's tied in at that time with they thought maybe the return of Christ was so imminent they weren't going to work. But look at 2 Thessalonians, verses, chapter 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition you have received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have that right, but to give you in ourselves example to imitate. For even when we are with you, we would give this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Listen to this. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And so there's like specific instruction to people who are idle, not wanting to do anything, pulling away in the church, a strong rebuke to call them back, to get busy, to be doing something. But these widows were doing that. So friends, we need to take this warning we want to turn from idleness. Be faithful with what is in front of us. Like work if you're able. Use your time wisely. Don't be killing time. That's wasting the precious time that God has given us. I don't know about you. I feel I'm already like an hour behind on today. <laughs> Literally. Okay, never mind. So they were idle. They were also gossips and busybodies. Gossips and busybodies, because they had time to talk about anything and nothing at all. Right? They're just like, what do you want to do? I don't know. Come up with the, the ways to, to fix the world. <laughs> Come up with different solutions to whatever problems. Start talking about people behind their back. Friends, I just want to read a little bit of more scripture from Proverbs talking about gossip. Because there's so much that's said, so many warnings about not to gossip, not to talk about other people behind their backs, not to slander them. So if you could, you could turn there with me, if you'd like, just the middle of the Bible, get you to the Psalms, Proverbs. I'm just going to look at a few together. God continue to give us wisdom. Proverbs 11, verse 13. I'm going to kind of read one after another. Proverbs 11.13 says this, Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. So the gospel reveals secrets. Proverbs 16, verse 28. It says this, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. That whisperer, that's a gossip. Someone who's, who's whispering. Saying it just so the one person can hear, but not so everyone can hear. It can separate close friends. Maybe we've experienced that before. Proverbs 18, verse 8. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Unfortunately, maybe we all know that gossip, it's like we know we shouldn't, but when we hear some, something, we, we kind of want to lean in. Wait, what? 
You say, what? What's going on? It's actually like pleasing to our ear. Unfortunately. Proverbs 20, verse 19. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. Someone who's always talking about everything. You should actually like maybe distance yourself from that person. A strong warning. And just one more. Proverbs 26, 20. Says this, for lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. Just think about that, right? Where people are gossiping and kind of always stirring up things, maybe you know what so and so said about you, and they get inflamed and mad. But where where wood is like not present, the fire goes out. It's like if we if we stop gossiping, talking, like it can actually end a lot of strife, a lot of uh, fighting amongst one another. So gossiping can be so damaged. And just one more proverb. Proverbs 10, 19, it says, When words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. When words are many, sin is not absent. So there were gossipers, these, these young widows. They were busybodies. They were in other people's business that didn't concern them. Another term for busybody, being meddlesome. Because they had the time, right? They're like, oh, all time in the world. And maybe they aren't supposed to be over here doing this, but they got time. So they're, they're busybodies. They're meddling in other people's business. So you see this negative list. Of course, we, we don't want to follow that list. But if, if you are idle, if you have heard this, like find something for your hands to do. Find some good works to pursue by God's grace and strength. If you are Think about this, if you are busy doing God's will, you won't have time to be idle. Gossip or talk about things do not, that do not concern you. We're going to look at that here in a moment. If you hear someone gossiping, encourage that person to talk directly with the other person. Or, or change the subject. Or it depends on your relationship with them. Maybe call, it, call them on that. Like, hey, maybe we shouldn't be talking about this. Maybe this isn't actually pleasing to the Lord. Again, talking about Christian and Christian relationship. Maybe if you're at a workplace and someone who likes to gossip doesn't know the Lord, maybe you just got to change the subject. Talk about something else. There are these, these things that were being done. We see in the letter in 1 Timothy, done by these young widows. And it was taking their eyes off their devotion to Christ. It was causing them to be in sin. Paul says, don't support these widows. But then, like, what should happen? I love Paul kind of continues on. Look at verses 14 to 15 with me. He gives instruction for the self-focused widow. My ESV translation, is, it begins with, so I would have younger widows. I don't think it's the best translation. It should actually be more of like a conclusive type statement. It should be, maybe some of you have therefore, and then following. Because he's actually kind of concluding his thoughts here for the young widows. And so what does he say? As we look at Paul's points here, I want you to notice, I'm going to highlight how each one flies in the face of what our culture values and upholds as good. Like Paul's advice to the young widows is not politically correct. The Bible is not politically correct, but it's the word of God. God created everything. I think he gets to decide how things are supposed to be. But I want you to notice this. I will highlight it. Look at verse 14. So I would, I would have younger widows marry. I would have younger widows marry. He's calling the widows to marry. Of course, the assumption would be to other Christians. But even in just positive for a sec, like some are, are actually called to lifelong singleness. Like some are, but most, most are called to marriage. And, and 
and the ones who are called to lifelong singleness, may God bless them and use them for what he has for them. But for most, there's a call to marriage. And I want to highlight again, I don't know how often you hear it outside of the church, but marriage is good. Marriage is good. Marriage is God's good design. It actually, <clears throat> he came with the plan on the sixth day of creation. <clears throat> if you can imagine, the sixth day of creation, God, man was alone. He created woman to help man support him. And as it came together, talking about marriage, what did God say? He said, it is very good. Looking at all creation, marriage included, it is very good. So Paul tells them to get married. Again, this would fly in the face of false teaching. We've already seen, talked about in this letter. 1 Timothy 4, 3, there were some false teachers forbidding marriage. Paul says, get married. And then think about how this flies in the face of our culture. There's this message of like, do, do you, do what's best. Like just find yourself. Don't get tied down. Focus on your career. Pursue your dreams. I even, I was listening to this interview of this basketball player and he's like kind of young, young, early 30s, but talking about why he doesn't have a kid. Because he's like, I want to focus, doesn't have children. I want to focus on my career. Right? That's the message of our culture. Just like focus on you. What's in front of you. Don't get married. Paul says, get married. This is good. I just want to point out one commentator said this. I thought it was kind of funny. Of course, he's not urging some immediate move to their first candidate encounter. He's speaking about the course of her life ahead. So it's like, get married, but find the right person in order to do that. So that's the first one. Get married. Next one, bear children. Get married, bear children. And of course, Men and women, we're not in charge of that. God, it's God's gift to grant. If people can have children or not. But this is part of the call of marriage. Right? Genesis 1.28. Be fruitful and multiply. And I want you to see this thing about bearing children. Having children is seen as a blessing uh, in the Bible. Just take your attention to... Uh, Psalm 127, verse 3. You could turn there and just listen. Psalm 127, verse 3. It says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. It's a reward. It's a blessing. Psalm 128, verses 1 to 3. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed. It should be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. It's a good thing. It's a blessing to have children. But I also, also want to say, I love what this commentator says, and we could maybe everyone with kids could say amen. He says, they are also a great responsibility and dec decades-long burden. <laughs> but think about like the women... Who were, who were like following their own selfish desires and idols, focus on themselves. It's like get married, have children, and having children, you have a focus, you have things you need to do and get after. Again, think of, compare that to our culture. Like, don't have kids, they get in your way, they're inconvenient. The world's overpopulated. I just saw South Korea just set up, they broke their own record. Uh, for the lowest birth rate. They, they're averaging between two people, man and a woman, right? <laughs> 0.78 kids. And so you need two kids. You need to average two kids just to like keep the population the same. 
So even at that rate, we're going to cut it by more than half. And that's the trend worldwide because we've been told for so long, don't have kids. Having kids is a bad thing. Having kids is seen as something selfish and risky in our time. Another mouth to feed. But the Bible speaks of one of the roles of woman is to have children in the context of the loving marriage. And it's seen as a good thing. I, was like, I hope we can see that contrast. It's like, wow, if you get married, bear children, what else does he say? Surely nothing else that would be controversial. No, he says, manage their households. Manage their households. Speaking of stewarding, caring for their homes, doing what needs to be done for the care and upkeep of the house. We've seen this language already in this letter, the call for elders in, in 3 verse 4 to manage their own household, deacons in 3 verse 12. And so we know what we studied previous, that men, husbands, are actually called to take the leadership in the home, to provide, to protect, to disciple. We, we know as we, as we looked at that, uh, men and women equal in value different roles. We see that in Scripture. But we see this call here to widows, have children, get married, manage your household. But there's, So as they're still in the home, the wife plays such a significant role in managing the household and raising kids and making it a place of rest and giving the woman giving it her touch of beauty. Right? Like, I don't know about other guys, I think sometimes left to ourselves, if we were decorating, we'd have lawn chairs. I'd be okay with that. You know, it's like the more time your wife is gone, the more you appreciate her. My wife was gone last weekend uh, to, to go and to mourn the loss of her Oma in, in Lower Mainland, B.C. And while she, was, while she was gone, it's like I fed the kids nachos, maybe cereal. I, I'm like, I'm, and as she's gone, I'm like, man, I'm so blessed to have my wife and manage our household well and, and just to have her there. And I just want you to see this, friends, in Scripture. A significant calling of a wife is to manage the household. And those who have chosen to work outside the home need to seriously reflect and plan on how they are doing this. Again, our culture, the woman has freedom to not have kids, to do whatever she wants. Did you know that March 8th, this past week, it was International Women's Day? It was International Women's Day. It's like, good, like we need to celebrate women. Without women, our whole society crumbles and falls apart. But this is assuming that we've, we've figured it out. Like what a woman is. We've, we've nailed it down. I looked on their website. They're like, hey, we're all about inclusion. And what they mean by inclusion, they're like, however you want to celebrate that, it's good. Like What? What about celebrating the biological gender of a woman and what God has called a woman to be, made in His image and likeness? And just think about that contrast. Again, the call not to be idle, but busy with life and home. And I think we see that spelled out in Proverbs 31. In Proverbs 31, uh, 27 to 28. I'll just read it for you. Kind of summarizing this. The Proverbs 31 woman, it says, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, her husband also and he praises her. This is the call to these young widows. If they were doing this, they would give the adversary no occasion for slander back in 1 Timothy 
Like anyone outside the church, anyone looking in, like they'd have nothing to say against these young widows because they're busy, they're, they're married, they're raising children, they're managing their own household. They're doing God's will, what He has called them to. So no one has anything to say to them. But notice this in verse 15, for some have already strayed after Satan. Some have already strayed after Satan. It seems like maybe those... Some widow of verse 6, she is, who is self-indulgent, is dead even while she lives. They're going after their own desires. They're turning away from God. We see this warning continually, actually, in this letter. In, in 119, speaks of some who would reject a faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Some. 1 Timothy 4.1. The Spirit especially says that in later times, some will depart from the faith. And here again, there's some who are leaving. And where does it say they're going? Some have already strayed after Satan. Again, the Bible, just as it talks about how marriage is a good thing, the Bible talks about how the devil is real. And people can, turning from God, are turning towards Him. And we know the only way to turn away from walking with the devil is to turn and follow God through faith in Jesus Christ. There's not like, there's not like a third row. You're like, I don't know if I'm going to follow God. I don't know if I'm going to put my faith in Jesus Christ yet. Well, you're on this different road, straight after the devil. And so some widows were doing that. It doesn't say exactly how it was happening. But as we know, some will stray. We will call them back to God's way with tears and prayers. Call them to repent, to return. But as we look at these, this call to the young widows, we must take the warnings we see there to heart and also see Paul's instruction is good. Just in conclusion, looking at verses 16, I want us to see the calling on homes, women, and the church. Paul writes this, kind of in concluding this section, If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. We already saw the calling on families in verse 4, chapter 5. If a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household, to make some return to their parents. Like if, if, if there's family that could, grandchildren, children, they should care for the widows. Paul's already said that. Now he's saying even more narrowly, if there is any believing woman who has relatives... Think about that, but a believing woman saved by grace has got spirit at work within her and, and has the ability, maybe more so than men, to see like who are the women who are hurting and broken around here that I can help. And so there's a calling on our homes, our families, believing women. If we see needs in our family, our widows, people who need help, and if we can meet it, we should. Again, this is an outflow of a faith in Jesus Christ. It's to help others. Are there widows that you know that need help? Are there needs that you see that you can meet? Act by God's grace. And, and why does it say that? It says, if any believing woman has relatives, her widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Because the, the church is supposed to care for those who are hurting and broken. I can't care for everyone. And so again, I want you to, to see this. I want you to see the heart of God in these passages. 
And maybe like, well, I'm not a widow. I'm missing this. I hope you can still see some examples. Hear this. Hear God's heart. Think about this. Jesus on the cross. I highlighted this last week. Two conversations take place as Jesus is nailed to the cross. One is to the thief on the cross. He's reaching out to the lost. The other is to his mother, who who seemingly is a widow. He says to, to John the Apostle, hey, you care for her. God's heart for widow, we see it in Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. We see it here in the, the number of verses that are given in the inspired word of God. That this, we have this letter from Paul to Timothy, these specific instructions to care for widows. Why are we given this? We see God's heart for widows. God is so good. And so, yes, of course, we want to grow in our knowledge of God. We want to praise Him with all that we have. We want to encourage one another to share our faith, but we also want to care for one another in the church. I hope you can see that. And and then what is the church? Let the church not be burned. What is the church? Well, the church, friends, is the body of Jesus Christ. Believers who have had their lives changed by their faith in Him, put their trust in Him. Right? Even as we went through this letter, 1 Timothy 3.16, the mystery of godliness that we would behold is Jesus Christ. And as we behold Jesus Christ, the mystery of godliness, we want to, 4 verse 7, we want to train ourselves for godliness. Prayer and ministry of the, of the Word. And, and as we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, and as we behold Him, as we grow in that, then a natural overflow of that is caring for one another. Is these good works that God has called us to do. Friends, God has good works for us to do individually, uh, together as a church, and may He give us eyes to see those who are in our midst who are hurting and broken and need us to care for them with the love of Jesus Christ. If you'll pray with me as I close this word of prayer. Oh Lord, I just, I pray uh, you would seal this word in our hearts. I pray not only would we see your heart, but by your spirit you would give us your heart uh, for widows, for hurting, for broken people. I pray if we have any in our family, any in our church who, who need that help, give us eyes to see, oh Lord. But, and I pray increasingly for all of us, those who know, who know you, may we uh, see you Jesus Christ more clearly and by your spirit may you pour in the love that you have for us you gave your life on the cross pour that into our hearts oh Lord that we'd have more of your love that we'd have your eyes for the lost your eyes for the hurting oh God do that in us that we would give God the Father more glory and I pray this in Jesus name amen